Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's been two years since rioters stormed the Capitol to challenge the 2020 election results. Dozens of Pennsylvanians have been charged in the attack, which was partly fueled by a far-right group called the Oath Keepers. And there have been some local police officers who have been tied to the group, though they weren't at the insurrection. David Harris is a Pitt Law professor focused on police behavior and law enforcement, and he's here to explain where we stand on holding people accountable. It's Thursday, January 5th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So it's been two years since the January 6th insurrection. You know, there were people from Western Pennsylvania there. Some have been charged and convicted, but this event was very well documented. You know, there were a lot of pictures and video inside, but there still are people who haven't been identified or prosecuted. So why haven't more people been prosecuted by this point? I think the very existence of all that evidence in a massive event makes it harder to get through this quickly and Mm -hmm. to do it right Mm -hmm. instead of the opposite. You know, when we think of a crime scene, even a crime scene involving multiple actors, it's going to be three or four people. It's going to be one place. And here you had a large, large government building, literally hundreds and hundreds of cameras, cell phones. uh, uh, Also, the evidence is voluminous. There were thousands of potential uh, targets and actors involved. It is simply more important to get this right than to get it done quickly. Mm. You don't want to have a lot of time go by uh, in, in any wasted effort, but you also, it's more important to get the thing right, to charge the right people, to put up cases that are going to result in convictions than it is to speed through it. So while I'm as frustrated as the next person with how long it's taking, I'm very sympathetic to the hundreds of people working to make this set of cases. And it is a gigantic set of cases Mm. work out the right way. One of the groups who was responsible for organizing the attack were the Oath Keepers. Can you explain a little bit like who this group is and, and what they do? The Oath Keepers are a far-right group that begins with great dissatisfaction with where society currently is, people's uh, behavior and conduct and who's in charge and you know the full spectrum of grievances that we see on the far right. But the particular thing that makes them different uh, I think, than a lot of these other organizations is that they, they have actively recruited in the ranks of military and police 
and former members of mm. those professions. And they appeal to them as the folks who have taken an oath, oath keepers, that they are the only true ones who really care about the Constitution and so forth. Well, what that translates into is uh, people with our set of beliefs uh, and our way of looking at the world. We're the true patriots and those other people are other and you can understand where that will lead. I'm very uncomfortable with this. Everybody has the right to their own ideas and can speak about them, of course, under our Constitution. But the idea of having police officers who owe a duty to the whole public, no matter what their ideas are, no matter who people are, no matter what ethnic or gender or uh, other group they may identify with, right. all people deserve protection. Uh, and instead, we've got a group within those very crucial groups of the military and police who say, no, we've got it right. We have a certain set of beliefs uh, that must uh, be uh, held as correct. That, I think, should make every American very uncomfortable. The organization list leaked and there were dozens of police officers, you know, on it. One of the police officers, Lieutenant Philip Mercurio, signed up with his work email for that organization. I'm not surprised, knowing, you know, the origins of police in this country anyways. But the fact that there are members of law enforcement across the state who have joined, um, one of the groups that is responsible for organizing this insurrection, you study policing and the law. I'm, is this surprising at all to you? I think a, a few things are worth noticing. Number one, there were also police officers who did join the group. And when they found out what it was really about and learned some things about it, uh, they dropped away from it. How, how do you how do you not know what the group is about? Well, remember that these folks are being recruited as a conscious effort to bring law enforcement in. And we know from the processes of radicalization that Oftentimes, people are brought in just a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time mm. uh, until they're finally fully radicalized. Uh, it may just be that some of these people saw the you know initial presentation or initial email or whatever it was that got them interested and said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. But then when they learned a little more, uh, not such a great idea. And that may be what accounts for some of this. I'm not saying that uh, those who stayed with it are blameless. I am saying that it is important to remember that not everybody from those ranks who started with it continued with it. Right. Point number two, I think it really does point to the fact that police organizations, police agencies, as they recruit and with officers who are already within their ranks, have a strong responsibility to investigate, uh, number one, any indication that anybody who is a member of their agency might be involved with these groups. Mm. And especially when they are recruiting new officers to do an in-depth background check that not only includes, you know, have they ever been arrested or convicted of a crime, but what does the social media feed say? What do all these, you know, uh, you got to get into that. You cannot just uh, trust that people who say, I want to be a police officer have never been involved in something like this. Mm -hmm. And if you pick up in your recruiting class, people who are members of the Oath Keepers or any other group like that, you've got a problem. 
And that problem can metastasize in your organization. So I think it tells us that police agencies, generally speaking, have to be much more conscious of this, weed this stuff out before it can take root. And if it's already there, take some action. like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. As I mentioned, uh, Lieutenant Mercurio, who was a firearms instructor, and allegedly he said that he would spread the word about the Oath Keepers to his students. The city placed him on administrative duty while they did their investigation, but eventually he went back to work. So why wasn't he fired, I guess? like, And, and why don't we you know, know more about the investigation? Yeah, that's a great question. And the reason that we don't know why he was fired is because we don't know more. It's both of your questions together. And the reason we don't know more is because of a whole thicket of state laws and collective bargaining agreement provisions that shield police discipline and misconduct investigation uh, uh, information from the public. Mm. This is built into state law, like I said, uh, in certain respects, and uh, into the collective bargaining agreements. And to the extent that discipline and investigations of discipline and investigations of misconduct are frankly, hidden from the public, that is a danger all by itself. And it extends well beyond a case like Mercurio's. It it covers everything that uh, could get a police officer uh, investigated by his or her department. We just in the last two years have a state law that, that says anytime a police department wants to hire an officer who has been employed at another police department, they have to give a look at a new state database that would record things like this. Uh, if they find reasons to be concerned, uh, the hiring agency must uh, make an explanation, a written explanation as to why, what they have found and why they're hiring the person anyway. Now, that's a nice step forward. But in fact, it's only available, the database, the information is only available to law enforcement. It's not available to the public. So by hiding all this information from the public, we're going to uh, never know why a person like Mercurio is still on the force. Was there a good reason for that or not? Uh, We're never going to know why disciplinary action is taken or not. And that in itself is a very deep problem. 
What do you think this does, though, to people's relationship, the public's relationship and, and faith, I guess, that they're supposed to have in, you know, police officers and the people that are hired to, to protect the public, um, learning that they have these ties and seeing that officers and some lawmakers, you know, haven't been held accountable yet? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think it's often overlooked that the key ingredient in building public safety and ensuring the safety of everybody in a, in uh, the town or jurisdiction in which a police agency uh, works is trust between police officers and the agency and those they serve. It is not the equipment. It is not just the legal authority to do the job. Uh, those things are, are necessary, but they are not sufficient. If you want real public safety, you have to have a relationship of trust with those you serve. And when you have an officer or some officers who belong to groups or have associations uh, that seem uh, certainly on the surface, to be dedicated to treating some people differently than others, to not respecting all folks equally. That is a problem for the agency uh, and for everybody the agency serves, because until we uh, root that kind of thinking out of our police agencies, that sort of thing will inhibit and erode that important degree of trust. Trust is important because that is what persuades the public to help the police solve crimes. That is important because it, it persuades the public that when police officers uh, are doing their job uh, uh, in a difficult situation, that they're doing it for everyone in the best possible way. Back to January 6th and the involvement of a lot of people um, who are from Western Pennsylvania. There was one woman who has been accused of stealing Nancy. She was accused of being at the Capitol and breaching the Capitol on January 6th. She was also accused of stealing Nancy Pelosi's laptop. Um, and during the summer, twice, she was allowed to go to the Renaissance Fair, asked to go to the Renaissance Fair and was allowed to go. Is We talked about this being, you know, it's it, like treasonous initially when um, the Capitol was breached. Is this not as serious as, you know, or people, people aren't seeming to get these really serious charges um, that, I kind of thought would come along with that day. Yeah. Well, some have, uh, as you know, uh, there have been some convictions where people will be serving years in federal prison. Hmm. Remember that every criminal case rests on its own particular facts vis-a-vis -vis its own particular defendant. It's not broadly like you were there. You're right. Yes. Right. Right. We, we don't look at any particular defendant as responsible for the entire horrible uh, set of events that happened that day. You can only charge and try people for what they actually did. Mm -hmm. And that proof of that has to square up with sufficient evidence to convict. Prosecutors do not charge cases unless they think they can prove the charges beyond a reasonable doubt. At least that's the standard. Yeah. So with regard to her, that woman, or any other particular defendant, they are charged with particular crimes, not the crime of participating in January 6th, but particular crimes for which 
there is evidence that can be used to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the starting point for any particular case and then any decisions that might get made, like can this person be free on bail? Can this person you know, attend the Renaissance Fair while they're waiting for trial? Whatever it is. Twice. Um, right. That's the kind of thing, that's the starting point from which we have to uh, view what a court allows the defendant to do while they're on release pending trial. What can we learn from all of this about how people get radicalized? And also, like, are you at all concerned about extremism growing in Pennsylvania? I'm deeply concerned about extremism growing in Pennsylvania and elsewhere across the country. Mm. Uh, You know, the loudest voices in the age of Twitter and TikTok and so forth get all the attention. And we are so atomized in our consumption of information Uh, that we can all find uh, a news source and a conversation group that confirms all our pre-existing biases Mm. and feeds us only what we already believe. And that is where radicalization can start. And then there are plenty of really bad actors out there who have a deep interest in pulling people into that, in making them dupes uh, to serve the interests of the people who are advancing at the top. I mean, a number of these people who have already pled guilty said things like, I went there because Trump said the election had been stolen and I believed it. Right. Now, you can believe or disbelieve their own protestation that they thought that that was really true. But for a lot of them, I think it was. Uh, So the leaders who put these lies out there, they are enabling this extremism that is growing And, you know, the center's got to hold somehow. And if we don't hold the people at the top responsible and accountable, that to me may be the greatest danger. David Harris is a University of Pittsburgh professor of law. Thank you so much for joining us today, David. I learned a lot. My pleasure. It's good talking to you, Morgan. A little more news before you go. Maybe you don't want to, but believe me, it's time to let that Christmas tree go. And now you can recycle that holiday cheer. The City of Pittsburgh and Allegheny County Parks Department are running a Christmas tree drop-off program. The trees will be turned into mulch that will be ready for residents by the spring. So, you know, from your living room to your yard. City collections are happening now through January 26th, and county collections run through January 14th at various locations. And you can find more about that in our newsletter. And the new year has brought even more change to the Pittsburgh media landscape. A subsidiary of Black Communications, which currently owns the Post-Gazette, is buying Pittsburgh City Paper, that's our alt weekly, from the Butler Eagle. The deal is expected to close this month and Black Communications says City Paper will stay independent. And this comes while a lot of Post-Gazette workers are on strike. They have been since October because they've been demanding better labor conditions. The Butler Eagle has been publishing print editions of the Post-Gazette during the strike. City Paper was critically covering Post-Gazette labor relations. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends, tell your family, rate the show, you know, leave us reviews. We love that. And of course, subscribe to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. No, no, I just, uh, I'd lose my street cred. I can't lose that. (laughs) 